0: Well, we're going to be, this is our new series, Challenge Accepted. We're going to be in Matthew 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they will bring one right to you. Patrick Bristol gives me door-to-door service every Sunday so that I don't have to have a car here. So we carpool and I'd encourage you to do the same because every week now we're having people drive in, can't find a spot and drive out. So he picks me up, brings me here. It's it's dark still, 6 o'clock this morning. Dropped me off, but a few seconds later, he's back over there, and he said, hey, when I got to the church this morning, the door was standing wide open, literally propped wide open. He says, and the door into the sanctuary is open. So we're coming over. Well, you know, he's a retired fireman, so he whips out two little flashlights, not just one. He has two. I was impressed. And he he gives one to me, and so uh, I'm fumbling. on. I said, how do you turn it on? He goes, you push the end. So I pushed both ends just to be sure, and, and it came on, and we came in here. Well, these lights were all on. And there was nobody here, and from, uh, from uh, what it appeared, um, the person who left last thought they were going to be next to last. You know what I'm saying? They, they must not have thought they were the last, because I think the school was in here and had had a practice, and there was some uh, glasses that looked like they would belong uh, to a woman and some music and some name tags and things that looked like the... They'd had a practice in here and then just ran out and somebody forgot to be closing the doors as they left. But our expectation is when we get here is you know, the gates locked, the doors locked, the lights are off, the 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 place is ready. And and so sometimes it isn't what we expect. And it's the same with Jesus with us, isn't it? Sometimes we he responds or leads us in a way that we don't expect. And what today we're talking about, expand your expectations of who Jesus is and what he can do in your life. And We have, we all have, I mean, I have expectations of Jesus, don't you? that he will listen when we pray, that he will bless us, that he will protect us, and uh, that uh, God is in heaven and there will uh, be a counting of our life and God will make all things right and that heaven and hell are real and on and on and on we go. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day also had certain expectations that the Messiah Savior would show up and that he would throw off the oppression of the Roman overlords and so that they could have their own Jewish nation like they had in the good old days. And the Savior Messiah would be a huge blessing. He would be just for them. They had lost the whole idea that the Messiah was going to come and was going to bless the whole world or that their job as the Jewish nation was to be God's blessing to the world. But if you go way back in the Bible to Genesis 12 where God chose a person that otherwise we'd have never heard of named Abram, in Genesis 12 it says, the Lord came to Abram and said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. All he, God had said through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, The Jewish people, as the centuries went by, didn't focus on that part. They forgot that. Besides, it's a lot of work to share blessings. You know, we would rather hoard what we get for ourselves. And they did. So their expectation of the Savior had shrunk way too small. Some of our expectations of Jesus are way too small. Do you expect that God is going to use us to bring his good news to the entire world? He did. He is. Do you expect that God wants to use us to bring his blessings then to South Orange County? Do you expect that God wants to use you to bring God's blessings to your neighbors and your family and your friends, those who are away from God? I mean, we're going to pick up on the story here in Matthew 15, so look there. But when you get to the, where in Matthew 15, Jesus has exhausted himself in ministry. He has been working hard. He's been doing the preaching and the teaching, which, you know, the preaching is fun. The preparation is a lot of work. And, and you don't just stand up and talk off the top of your head, nor did Jesus. And your heart has to be with right with God first or your words don't ring true. In fact, in Jeremiah, God addresses this through the prophet Jeremiah chapter 23. He said, If they, the preachers, had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from their evil deeds. And then a few verses later, he said, Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my words speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? And I think the answer is, they both look alike when they're getting started. They bear completely different fruit. And then in Jeremiah 23, verse 29, God said, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. So Jesus has been sharing God's word faithfully, firing up the Pharisees, knock, knock, knocking on the door of stony hearts. It's hard work. He also has been doing miracles. Jesus did a lot of miracles. In fact, before the story we're gonna look at today, just recorded in Matthew, are 19 miracle stories before we get to the one we're talking about today. And you didn't, Jesus could heal with a word or with a touch, but it was a lot of work and it would take power out of him. In fact, in Mark five and in Luke eight, Jesus, there's a story about a woman who comes to see Jesus because she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's been to every doctor. She spent everything she had. She's lost everything. She still has this issue, and she says to herself, if I could just get close enough to touch the hem of his robe, I would be healed. Well, there's a whole crowd around him. They're all going to go to, to uh, somebody important's house whose daughter is sick, and, uh, but she manages to get through the crowd and to touch Jesus, and as soon as she does, Jesus stops everything and says, who touched me? Peter goes, who touched you? People are crowded all around you. And he says, no, no, the power has gone out from me. Well, then the woman fessed up, and Jesus got to see her face to face and said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So it cost Jesus something to do miracles. But then he also was investing a lot of his energy in arguments with religious people. Boy, those can drain your battery quick, can't they? I mean, you can't ever plan for those, and Jesus didn't enjoy the confrontations any more than you or I would, but he knew that they needed to happen to at least declare God's word so that people could hear it if they chose to hear. God's word tells us that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. There's a tension there and there was a balance. How do you be somebody who's full of grace and tell the truth? How do you tell the truth and be gracious? And then Jesus also was dealing with bad news. His cousin, John the Baptist, the one who had baptized him, had been put in prison and then was murdered there. He was beheaded. And Jesus had just gotten this news and he needed some time to deal with his grief and with his loss. But he's surrounded at the same time by all the kind of the remedial class, the slow witted disciples. You know, come on, guys. Oh, you have little faith. How many times did Jesus say that? Don't you get it? I mean, it's not that Jesus is worried about the sharks, he's going to be nibbled to death by the minnows and he's tired. The man Jesus is tired. Now, that was a new experience for Jesus because as God in heaven, God never gets tired, the Bible says. He does not grow faint or grow weary. And so when Jesus became a person was the first time that he actually felt exhaustion and tiredness. So Jesus is trying to get a break. So he leaves the area where he's become this rock star, this celebrity of the area around the Sea of Galilee, and he walks to Tyre and Sidon, the area of the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites had been the people that when God sent his people from Egypt back to the Promised Land, he said, obliterate everybody because they are so sinful and so away from God. I don't want you to get mixed in with them. But they only obeyed God about 75%. And so these are descendants of the wicked Canaanites who had been left alive back in 1500 B.C., about 1,000 B.C., Tyre figures in this Old Testament story again because Solomon was building this great temple in Jerusalem to God and he needed cedars which were growing in Lebanon. And so King Hiram, uh, of, uh, king of Tyre, uh, had this working relationship with Solomon to bring cedars of Lebanon and the other things that they needed for the temple. That was about 1,000 B.C. But Tyre and Sidon, this Canaanite area, becomes famous for its wickedness and, and for God's judgment and destruction on them. Later, King Ahab, who was from Israel, actually married Jezebel, and she became queen. She was from Sidon, and she wreaked havoc on Israel. She brought in her idols. She set up places for them to be worshipped. She slaughtered hundreds of the prophets, and she brought God's judgment down on all of Israel. And yet, at the same time, God took the prophet Elijah and sent him to Zarephath, which is in a city, a Sidonian city. And said, there is a widow there with her son. Go stay with them and she will feed you during this famine that just went on and on and on. And Elijah ended up raising her son from the dead. And Jesus referenced this woman in his first sermon in Nazareth. And that's what so infuriated the people in Nazareth that Jesus would say, God is good good news is for everyone. Not just for Jewish people. He didn't give you, bless you just to bless you. He blessed you for you to be a blessing to others. God still blesses us to be a blessing to others. Don't try to contain them all yourself. So, why did Jesus go to Tyre and Sidon? Well, let's look at Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus went from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And the tense of the verb here is that she was saying it over and over. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Or wickedly oppressed is another translation of that. I mean, is she serious? Does she believe those things about Jesus—that he's the Lord, that he's the Son of David, which is a designation for the Messiah—or is she just stringing together fancy words that she's heard other places to get Jesus' attention? Jesus has to figure that out. See, he's there because he needs a little R and R, like we've said, and he's finally carved a little vacation into his schedule so he can catch his breath. But even on vacation, Jesus is called on to do a miracle for a person that's desperate. I think Jesus is dealing here with some compassion fatigue. We get that once in a while, don't you? From helping others and investing yourself in other people's lives and caring about uh, doing extra things. and uh, We get tired. We get tired of doing all that goodness for others. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we are. The only difference is he didn't sin." compassion fatigue is real you can exhaust yourself doing God's work working for God so you have no time to spend with God and just enjoy him then you're too busy and life just keeps coming at you and that's what Jesus felt like it just he probably felt like this little goalie watch this watch this little goalie oh oh, oh, oh you never saw that coming did you you want to see it again now that you're ready okay get ready here go Oh, it still hurts every time, though. And that's how life has become time. It's just, woo-woo And, you know, we can get compassion fatigue out of that. And as Jesus did the right thing, I mean, he tried to get to a place where he could rest and recharge spiritually, but when he got interrupted, first by a hungry Jewish mob that just had to have dinner, and then... Uh, by this overstressed Gentile mom with a very special needs child, Jesus set aside his own pressing need and he cared for the people in his path. Now, there's an application in this for us. We are Jesus' followers. We exhaust ourselves doing God's work and we get tired. But fatigue can cause us to want to cut corners or to be short with people or to get discouraged or to do less than our best. Watch out! Watch out! We're not part-time devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So to get the rest that you need, to take time to be with the Savior yourself, to enjoy Jesus, and to say, how do I do my best work? Because why did Jesus go to the region of Tyre and Sidon? For R&R, yes, maybe, but there's a bigger reason. It's this. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his own and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus explains later, He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and God started with Abraham, whose family became the Jewish people that were God's first and His favorite. And his God's plan was to bless the whole world through them, but when they didn't, Jesus steps beyond them to bring salvation and offer a relationship with God to anyone and everyone. I guess I really should read the whole story. Let's go back. R- Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there, from Galilee, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. These disciples really are slow learners. Have you noticed that every time there's a major problem, their answer is, Send it away? It was. When there was a story we call the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, what are we going to do about all these hungry people? And they said, send them away. Let them solve it themselves. And here they are. They failed that one. Here they are. Jesus brings them another opportunity and, uh, because he didn't say a word. And they say, send them away. They, they don't seem to understand that Jesus can deal with impossible situations. That's the stuff we bring to Jesus And Jesus answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came, and she knelt before him, and she said, "'Lord, help me.' And he answered, "'It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs.' And she said, "'Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table.' And Jesus answered her, "O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire.' And her daughter was healed instantly." Now, God did choose the Jewish people as his own special treasure, and he pours his blessings out on them, and he wanted them to bless the whole world, but they're trying to keep all the blessings for themselves and not share, and God is moving beyond them anyway to include the whole world. Jesus is taking the good news to the, beyond the borders of Israel to the Gentiles. It was God's plan. He wasn't there by accident. You see, for us, there's an application here that God cares about people that we would overlook that we would discount, that we would disqualify, that we think are too sinful, too hard-hearted, too sinful or gone too far from God for God to help them or to heal them or to save them. But God cares, so don't give up. Well, second question, why was Jesus' interaction with this Canaanite woman so abrupt? I think a couple of reasons. Doesn't it seem abrupt to you more than most conversations that are recorded of Jesus having with somebody? I mean, I think he's testing her. And I know from being a chaplain in the Air Force where I was in the Reserves where you're just there part of the time, I realize after a while I spend time counseling somebody, and the next time I come back, they're gone. And you kind of get one shot to help somebody, and then you don't have another opportunity. And here Jesus had been around the Sea of Galilee a lot, and those people, they could come and interact with Jesus and hear a message and come back the next week and come back the next week, and they thought they had plenty of time. This person realizes, she's got, and Jesus realizes he has one opportunity so I imagine he's walked a long way to get to Tyre and Sidon because he's tired, and he's walking with his disciples, and they come finally walking into Tyre and coming in on Main Street, and they're looking for what you would look for after you've traveled a long ways. They're looking for water and food and refreshment, you know, and, and this woman is probably be cleaning in her house, or she's washing dishes. She looks out the window, and she sees, hey, that's Jesus and, and, and the gang that go with him. And she's, she's, you know, her life has been a living hell since her daughter got, became demon-possessed. This isn't like some just special needs child. This is not like an infection or a disease that you say, what's going to happen? It's going to run a certain course. Her daughter's become demon-possessed. So in her house, you never know if there's a problem or one's about to explode. It's going to escalate into drama and there's lots of voices of displeasure and things are starting to get loud and her daughter's ca- talking crazy and you know, yelling and spewing vulgarity on everybody and her mouth is moving, but you say, who is it really talking in her? Because there's an evil spirit there screaming through her. Things are getting thrown and things are getting broken and the chaos is unrelenting. And you never know what comes next in that kind of situation. And the mother's at the end of her rope. And I imagine that she's cleaning up from the last family tangle when she looks out the window and she sees Jesus. And she recognizes him. We're not told how. Maybe somebody had gone and heard Jesus speak or do a miracle and had come back. And had told her and it was kind of the buzz in their town. But she recognizes who he is. So she runs out. I imagine she still has her apron on coming right out of the kitchen. And she's raised, you know, have Jesus have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And Jesus' answer is shocking. He says, nothing. He didn't respond. He doesn't acknowledge her. She's begging him, and he gives no answer. Now, have you ever been ignored? You know, it doesn't feel good. I've had people come up and say, Pastor, you walked past me and you didn't say anything. Promise, I never do that on purpose. Never. And it just leaves us with this cold, prickly feeling, wondering, was that intentional? Didn't he hear me? Does he have any idea how bad my life has been? And I know he has the power to help me, but he's ignored me. And so she does it, says it again and again and again, and it says he says nothing. So it says she goes to one of the disciples, hey, can you help me? Can you help me? My daughter, really? Can, and he does nothing. Can you help me? Can you help me? She goes through the whole gang, and then finally one of the disciples speaks for everybody. You know what he says? Much to the woman's shock. It says, Jesus, send her away. She's bothering us. At that point Jesus says, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, how do you how do you translate a non-answer from Jesus? You've probably had that, right? You've had a certain prayer in a group this size. There's bound to be some huge concerns, but each one of us has some concern on our heart that we bring to the Lord, and we wonder, is He listening? Does He hear me? Does He care? Is He doing anything? How come there is no answer? I've got this aching heart and a wound, and I bring it to Jesus with a simple request, and the silence is deafening. What do you do? What happens in your heart at that point? Do you stay full of faith? Do you wait patiently? Do you lash out? Do you give up? This woman's got one shot, and she's begging Jesus for help for somebody else, not even for herself. She says, please help me. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Aside from the reference that she's, it's suggestion that she is the dog, it's not right, but it works that way, at least it works that way at our house. I mean, we got a lot of little people coming over these days, uh, one-year-olds, and the, they sit in a high chair and we have a dog, and when you feed the kid and they don't like the food, and, um, or maybe they just get a twitch in their arm and see how far they can throw things, I'm not sure. But anyway, either way, our dog is there to clean it up and then run away, and everybody wins. The kid doesn't have to eat what he doesn't wanna eat, and the dog gets a treat and the mom gets a clean floor. So this woman stays on track. Her daughter needs a miracle, and Jesus could do miracles, and the disciples are absolutely no help, and her daughter needs a touch from God, and here is God standing in front of her, and she says, Lord, yes, but even the dog get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I mean, that's pretty good. She's not pushy. She's not rude. She stays on track. She ignores the roadblocks, and Jesus, on his mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, hey, here she's not one of those, is what he's telling her. And she's a woman standing among all these male disciples who won't help. She's an interruption in their day. She's an outsider. She's clearly not going to be first in line for any treats or blessings. But she also knows it's her only chance. And she believes in Jesus. You know, three weeks ago, my dad was in the hospital and I was up working on his house and I have a cousin who's a historian and so she came by the house and um, she's looking around his house and she goes, oh, I want that, I want that, I'd like that, I'd like that. It was kind of shocking to the person giving the tour and they finally said to her, um, now first off, the man who lives here hasn't died yet and the second is, his children would be the first to have the opportunity to say what happens with his, his stuff. In other words, you're not first in line. And that's really what Jesus is saying to this woman. But I think he's testing her because his response finally is, Oh, woman, great is your faith. That's not what he said to Peter when Peter walked on the water. Peter oh, you have little faith. He says, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus did not go easy on her. First, he doesn't respond. When he does, he talks about his mission, which doesn't include her. She doesn't fit. When she pleads, he says it's not right to take the, 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 the bread from the children, the rightful heirs. And she said, I'm just asking for crumbs. See, for her, this is not just a show or an academic exercise or a casual conversation like it is with the other religious people who come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do a miracle for us. He's just finished a miracle. Jesus, do another miracle for us. Impress us so we can talk about it with you. That's not where she's coming. She's coming because she needs help. She needs a miracle. And she knows Jesus is her only hope. And he can't help her if he will. See, the application for us is Jesus is our only hope, and we pray, but when it doesn't work, we sometimes get discouraged, or we quit, or we get angry or bitter. Take a lesson from this woman, unworthy, but she's needy, she's humble, she's patient, and she will go to whatever length, but God, of her love for her child, how strong is your faith? How far would you go for love? She's persistent, and Jesus credits her with great faith, and that's what Jesus was looking for was people of real faith, and every time he found one, he pointed it out. She's persistent, real faith. I mean, there's different kinds of faith. I got thinking about this. I meet with our young pastors. We talk through, and and when I suggested this, it kind of like the snowball got rolling, so you might think of some as well. I thought, you know, one kind of faith is inherited faith. I got that from my parents, and uh, you know I don't really know what to do with it. But you can't throw some—it's old and worn out. But I, you can't throw something like that away, and or antique faith—it's old and it seems valuable, uh, not to me, but probably to somebody. So I'll keep it for goodwill, or gimme faith. You know, Jesus, give me one of these, and give me one of those, and give me one of those, and I need two of that. Like Jesus is some kind of spiritual vending machine. Or emergency faith. Help me, Jesus, if you get me out of this one hot spot, I promise I'll do, and then you fill in the blank. Or Hail Mary faith. You know, you just toss it way up there, and, and who knows, it might just get caught and, and, and end the right way and score. Or fire insurance faith. You know, I've got my bases covered just in case there's a fire at the end that I want to avoid. Or mutual fund faith. You know, I'm putting in a little something, a little something. I'm sure this pays off in the end. Or cultural faith. <laughs> I know I'm going to heaven because I'm an American, (laughs) and God's on our side. Or food court faith, you know, you pick and choose, different each day. Or fun faith, I'm I'm along for the fun. As long as it's fun, I'll be there. If you want commitment or hard work or participation, well, you know, when the fun runs out, I'm out of here. Can you think of others? I mean, you write them down and you can share them with me. Talking so add Adam to the list because Jesus had come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lost sheep have no faith. No faith. Peter, like Pastor Eric was talking about last week, where Peter was walking on the water, but then he looked around and got distracted and he went down and said, Lord, save me. He was credited with a little faith. This woman is credited with great faith. I am challenging you today to expand your expectations. That is, increase your faith in Jesus Christ your persistence in prayer, your patience, your caring on behalf of others. It's a challenge. Challenge accepted. The next little paragraph, you'll have to read it, but Jesus goes on to go back to Galilee and just do healing after healing after healing. And basically the point that it makes is that Jesus has the power. Put your faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus cares about all of us and about all of you, not just your physical condition. He cares about your spiritual condition, the condition of your heart. And this Canaanite woman realized she needed more than a physical healing for her daughter. Her tortured daughter needed a spiritual transformation. Now I look at our prayers, just in conclusion, when we say in a group, what can we pray for? Nine out of the top ten or more will be for a physical healing and I understand that we we have a lot of physical challenges and needs but I wish we were doing more prayers like God be merciful to me a sinner or Jesus come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord or Jesus use me to fulfill your great commission of go make disciples of all nations and Jesus I am praying for so-and-so by name In your outline, there's actually a spot with five blanks. And the idea is that you would put names there of people you know and love who you know do not have Jesus in their heart, do not have Jesus in their life. And you're the one that would connect them. Pastor Mike Johnson at Grace Hills, which is up in Liso Viejo, I get to see him once in a while, and he calls it his five by five. He challenges people, have five People's names, five names you pray for five minutes a day. That you're saying, God, what about this person? They need you. But it also is reminding you in your heart, I'm praying for them. I'm caring for them. I'm looking for an opportunity to share Christ with them and to be Christ to them and to invite them to meet Christ through me. I mean, someday we want to hear Jesus say, Wow, South Shores people, you are people of great faith. So we need to enlarge our expectations. And keep our eyes on Jesus. It's a challenge. Challenge accepted. Then let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you would come into this world, that you would limit yourself to a human body, that you would go through all the struggles that you did, that you would go beyond the people who thought they deserved all your blessings to share your blessings with people like us and I pray that we will be those who are so fully devoted in our following of you that we will trust you when things aren't going our way, when we think you're ignoring us, when, when we don't seem to be getting the answer that we need, when we're waiting for a miracle. That we would stay patient and full of faith. That you would enlarge our expectations, how great you are and what you can accomplish. And we would watch you work and walk and work hand-in-hand with you. So take us from this place, the South Shores, to stay steady and patient and faithful and optimistic for what you have for us today and in our future. We thank you and you praise you that you are our Savior and our God. And God's people said, Amen.